Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. Welcome to the Drop Time Report. On this week's episode, we're going to have Tracker John back on the show. Uh, each deer season, I try to have Tracker John on just to kind of highlight uh, what he's been up to with his bloodhounds, uh, what big bucks he's been finding, and usually he gives a few tidbits that can help uh, deer hunters do a better job of recovering their own deer and help them uh, make better decisions as to when to call in a tracker. Uh, always a good time interviewing Tracker John. We have a long history together. He's certainly one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to tracking deer uh, with dogs, so it should be a great interview. Before we get him on the show, I'd like to thank my sponsors, my title sponsor, Redneck Blinds. If you're in the market for a deer blind, check out Redneck Blinds. If you're on a budget, check out their ghillie blinds and their soft-sided blinds. Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, uh, makers of some of the best camera arms in the industry today for filming your hunts. Winsent, makers of... Vapor deer scent dispensers, uh, just a great way to attract deer morale targets. Makers of the high roller target Huntworth gear, uh, clothing, hunting clothes for every budget. Pine Ridge Archery, makers of the Nitro Vein, uh, Lucky Buck Mineral, Grim Reaper Broadheads, Schaefer Performance Archery. Uh, they make an amazing rest called the XV Arrow Rest that's been designed to uh, handle speeds exceeding 400 feet per second. It gets out of the way of the arrows uh, very quickly, which is a problem with today's speed bows and many of the rests on the market. Illinois Connection Outfitters in Pike County, Illinois, uh, they manage thousands and thousands of acres and offer Class A accommodations. The Outdoorsman's makers of awesome tripods for glassing in the backcountry and backpacks. Last but not least, Wilderness Athlete. Uh, they make some really good nutritional products. Uh, one of my favorites is Hydrate and Recover. It's a great drink, uh, especially if you're trying to reduce your sugar intake. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com. Enter Drop 10 at the checkout and get a discount on your order. Now let's go ahead and get Tracker John on the show. Welcome to the show, Tracker John. How are you today? Oh, good, Tracy. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Uh, you get much sleep last night? Well, I, I'm not going to say a lot, but I did get some. It was a very full day yesterday. We started out in the morning, and I don't think we uh, wrapped up uh, probably till about 11 last night uh, after finishing the third trail of the day. And then uh, at, at the same time, was kind of consulting on some other possibilities for today. Uh, and so you get kind of cranked up like that. Uh, it's kind of hard to turn it off. So it's not like I got right to, right to sleep. Uh, takes a while. <laughs> so we were up pretty late, but better than nothing. We did get some sleep and this morning, uh, so far as quiet, uh, nothing on my plate. So we're, we're continuing to, to rest up. Now you mentioned in the pre-interview, we'll call it that, uh, it's been a, maybe a busier than usual early season uh, from the moment you got to Illinois. You know, you've just kind of, not that it's been like the rut, but it's just been a steady trickle, or excuse me, a, a steady trickle. Why do you think that is? Just cooler weather or just, you know, factors you don't even know the answer to? Well, I, I would say uh, it has been the 
uh, a good early season. And I wouldn't say it's been a steady trickle. It's actually been more of uh, some uh, pretty hot spurts. Uh, okay. And I, I would say it, it does coincide with some of the cooler weather. The temperatures have definitely been for early season, uh, quite favorable and cooler than normal. And uh, I think uh, uh, a couple of those uh, cooler snaps uh, really got things fired up. Uh, there were a couple really busy uh, periods, but then there were also a few little uh, periods of hot temperatures and things totally shut off. So I wouldn't say it was a steady trickle. I would say that some of those cold snaps provided a flurry of activity that we don't normally see um, early season. Okay. Uh, what's the biggest buck you've tracked or found this year so far? I think we've uh, so far got several in the 80s, 180s. Uh, definitely got a couple few in the 70s, and you know the rest of it tends to be in the 50s, 60s. Uh, the last one last night was... Uh, probably high 50s, maybe in the 60s. We actually started off the season with a pretty good bang. Uh, I think the first recovery of the season was Taylor Drury's, and that was low 70s, 173 or something like that. So there's some big bucks out there this year. Um, Quite quite enthused. Cool. Well, why don't you go ahead and highlight – that trail for Taylor Drury. Everybody knows, obviously, the Drury's well. Um, but you said it, you know, it was a unique one in that uh, it looked like a great hit, you know, on film. Well, that that's uh, the beauty of uh, when you get to work for the TV folks is that uh, you're generally provided <laughs> with the video of the shot sequence. And in that particular case, it looked dang good. I mean, basically, it looked like a heart shot. And uh, they certainly didn't think it was going to go far and they, they began tracking and, uh, I guess they had, you know, pretty good blood and, uh, they were quite shocked, uh, when they jumped the deer. And so it didn't turn out to be quite the easy scoop up that they thought. And, uh, then they lost the trail after several hours and I got called in the next day and, uh, we were still kind of thinking that would, with a dog at least, be pretty easy uh, recovery and didn't turn out to be the case. It uh, actually went probably in excess of a mile. It had stopped bleeding. There was very little bleeding, uh, just the occasional spot after great distances to prove that the dog was on. And uh, so it, w- it was a challenge and I think it probably took us several hours before we we finally re- recovered the deer, but it's one of those hits that to me is a little on the low side on the heart and lower heart is just not as effective, uh, placement as higher on the heart. Uh, top of the heart, you got the aor- aortic arch and all those big arteries coming off it is a much, uh, very target rich, uh, spot to hit. Whereas low on the heart, there's not as much down there and you can actually, nick the heart and not immediately kill the deer just because you've touched the heart doesn't mean it's going to be killed over in a hundred yards um so i've seen this quite frequently actually or certainly a number of times where these let's call them hard shots uh just didn't prove to be as immediately effective as uh 
as you might imagine, and and actually in some cases uh, didn't prove fatal at all. So you just never know. Wow. I, I don't count on anything. I don't uh, take anything for granted or assume it's going to be a certain way. And of course, I'm the guy that's getting called in on all the weird stuff and where the problems exist. So I'm I'm seeing some bizarre things, but that particular scenario is not totally rare, uh, at least in my book. Okay. That brings up a point, something you and I have discussed for years is uh, broadheads, right? Broadheads are always a hot topic. Uh, Every bow hunter loves to blame his broadhead when uh, something goes awry. Some people love mechanicals. Some people love fixed blades. Um, And you've, you know, arguably probably tracked more than just about anyone out there. Have you seen any patterns as far as one type of broadhead being more effective than another? Well, I've actually been getting asked this question quite a lot lately. And, uh, you know, I I don't think there's any uh, uh, absolute answer. Uh, Really, I like to say, tell me whereabouts on the deer you're going to hit, and I'll tell you what broadhead to use. Uh, there's really no perfect broadhead, and and it's, it's, I think beyond the mechanical versus fixed head uh, issue, I I'm just a believer in a big broadhead, whether it's fixed or mechanical. Um, it just to me, it's just common sense. You create a big wound channel, and you've got a you've got more damage. You've got a greater uh, likelihood of, of, of cutting something substantial uh, rather than uh, slipping by and missing an artery. If it's a bigger blade, well, maybe you'd have cut it. So uh, to me, just the, the, the bigger the, the wound channel, the, the greater the damage, the better off you are. So whether you're talking fixed blade or or uh, mechanical, I, I, I like a, a big cut. I, I just think that's common sense. Have you seen much broadhead failure over the years? Maybe it's too hard to tell when you show up after the fact, but um, do you see that often? Well, I don't know that I see it often. I've certainly seen it. I've seen some weird things uh, actually with mechanicals that actually did deploy and then somehow upon impact closed back up. So you actually had a... uh, a regular wound channel going in, but on the way out, a pencil hole. And I think in both cases where I saw that, I think the uh, broadhead had encountered some bone, and I don't know, it was like the impact somehow closed things back up, but it was weird. Uh, literally a tiny little pencil hole on the, on the way out. Uh, I think a lot of times the mechanicals are being blamed for failure when perhaps it actually wasn't failure, but just the matter of the, the broadhead, uh, the, the wound channel sneaking through, uh, threading the needle uh, in, in a spot where it just wasn't as fatal as, as what the, the guy would have hoped for. Uh, just happened to hit part of an organ where it's, it's not as damaging or slipped between organs, uh, just nicking it rather than taking it out or somehow threading the needle and not picking up big arteries. I think a lot of times uh, those things happen, uh, 
And then it, the automatic assumption is, well, it was broadhead failure when in fact it was, and it was just by uh, good luck or bad luck, however you want to look at it, the arrow threaded through where it just uh, didn't hit things where it was uh, either in the near term or uh, fatal at all. Do you, um, are you noticing in the last decade or whatever, uh, mechanical heads being used more than fixed or do you feel it's 50, 50? What do you think? Oh, I, I think, uh, uh, I think mechanicals probably are, are used more than fixed. I, I would be almost certain of it. It just seems like that's the choice, the greater choice. Sure. Now, do you think, Which, uh, you know, go ahead. Well, uh, so that brings up a the analog uh, assess of one versus the other versus the other or the failure of one versus the other it's well how much is one being used if one's primarily being used a lot more well uh, it seems like uh, you'd have a greater percentage of failure just simply because it's being used more so you got to be careful with uh, how you're interpreting results and and most people, and sometimes even question myself, with do you really have the 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 the, uh, the data to truly support your claims? I always say things go in streaks. So you might see something that would kind of lead you to believe one thing, and then things flip flop, and and then you're kind of seeing another. So you really have to have quite a database to start uh, uh, coming to legitimate conclusions. And you also got to be, I think, pretty smart about how you are analyzing the data um, and, and what it truly, truly means. Sure, sure. A lot of factors, as you well know, and uh, why one deer lives and the next doesn't or one hit versus the next. And yeah, a lot of that stuff remarkable. you can't figure out. Yeah. And uh, Again, all bizarre stuff, but you know, I see deer surviving things that you would never think they could uh, live through, and and yet, for a fact, they have. Now, here recently, just a few days ago, you tracked for Todd Graff. Uh, for those that don't know Todd, he's the owner of uh, Bowhunting.com and Bowhunter Die, the online show. Um, and you weren't the first dog on that trail, and and call it good, bad, or otherwise, certainly tracking dogs have increased in popularity. There's more of them than ever. So let's just talk about, you know, that trail and what to look for in a tracking dog when you're, you know, calling people. Well, I I don't think I just want to necessarily uh, focus on that trail, but uh, calling in a, a tracking dog, I don't, think is any different than calling in uh, any professional or any person that's engaging in an activity. It just is common sense that somebody that's been uh, really focusing on that activity and doing it for a long period of time is is likely to be more accomplished than than somebody that's uh, new at it. And I think uh, some people have the uh, 
opinion or there's without or maybe not even maybe opinion isn't the good word they just a lot of people just assume a dog is a dog and if somebody's calling them the tracker that uh, you know all things are equal or they uh they belong to some organization so that makes them legitimate when in fact uh, to belong to that organization all you got to do is pay 25 bucks and you're on the list and a blood tracker so uh I, I would just say like anything else you you need to i mean references are always better and if you see what the the experience level is and what the track record uh pardon the pun is uh uh, just like anything else. Uh, but I, I am, you're right. I am seeing more of this and uh, there's been a few times already this season that other handlers and dogs have been called in and, uh, then I get called in to try to clean up the mess. And I don't, I don't like having to do that because it just complicates things and makes my job harder. Uh, and typically, my existing clients aren't going to do that. They're, they're, you know, they're going to call me, but when it has happened this year so far, it's been folks I haven't worked for that uh, got a referral some, some, someplace along the line after the other folks that uh, um, attempted and failed. And, and then we got called in, but I'm definitely seeing uh, more of that over the last couple few years for sure. Uh, you know, I remember the first time I interviewed you for a magazine article. I mean, we're talking, I don't know what it's been, 14, 15 years ago. Um, you were like the only guy doing it, so to speak. I mean, there was people in New York doing it, obviously, but you weren't you weren't encountering it much. And now it's, you know, more popular than ever. There's a variety of dog breeds being used. Um, you do this, you know, probably more than anyone else, and you rely on bloodhounds. Why do you choose a bloodhound versus, you know, obviously labs are popular. A whole bunch of small breeds are popular because they're small and easy to handle. Why do you rely on the bloodhound? Well, that's that's a hot topic you just dropped in my lap. I mean, <laughs> we could piss off of a lot of people, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody's got their favorites, and, and that's great. Uh, I can't imagine picking a dog that I don't like. To, to work uh i mean if you like something then 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 go with it but uh the, the other thing too is you know regionally uh uh tracking uh, how tracking is done varies what the laws are vary uh so my choice might not be the best choice for somebody else and vice versa but for what i'm doing uh, where I'm sometimes, uh, if not often, having to work colder, colder trails that uh, can be pretty, pretty difficult. I, I want all the nose I can get, and for my money, that that's the bloodhound. I, um, if I thought there was something better, I'd, I'd have it. Uh, there's, you know, lots of reasons not to get a bloodhound, uh, uh, and I wouldn't recommend them for casual people but for this particular niche that i'm in and how we're working um for me for my purposes i i i think it's the best great nose uh i mean they'll my dogs will just work 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 until they keel over um so I, it's a single purpose dog 
Uh, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I wouldn't have them, quite, uh, quite yeah. honestly. I, yeah, you're not going to retrieve a duck. You're not going to find a shed. You're not going to you know, take it to the grocery well, store. Well, actually, I have found sheds with them, and I, you know, you can dabble with other things. But by and large, it is a single-purpose dog. Or you're not going to win any obedience uh, contests with them, although uh, I think they're a little more capable than what a lot of people would uh uh, give them credit for, you know, you read, oh, you can't, can't ever let one loose off a line. It's going to hit a scent and we'll be gone. And, uh, well, that's not my experience. I, I walk multiple dogs in the woods, uh, loose, uh, in, in the deer work, uh, woods off season, whether it be training or just exercising them. And, you know, there's deer running around and we're hitting those trails all the time, seeing the deer actually right in front of my dogs. And uh, they're not running off. They're staying with me. But then again, you know, these are dogs that live with me and are, you know, basically with me 24-7. So they're so bonded. And uh, so with my routine that it's, you know, I've got an advantage there that maybe the casual person or somebody that can't put that kind of time in wouldn't have. Uh, let's talk, you wanted to talk about, you know, last few days and, and what you've been up to and, and not every, uh, blood trail ends in a happy hunter. And, you know, a lot of times the deer aren't dead. And I think some people might want to blame a dog or, you know, they didn't find it, but I think it's dead or whatever, but that's basically, you know, a lot of them aren't dead. Um, so just kind of highlight, you know, the last couple of days of what you've been up to. Yeah, well, that's, again, that's a bit of a tricky issue. Uh, just because you don't find it doesn't mean it's not dead. Obviously, those other ones were, others had attempted first, and then we came in uh, and found them. Uh, clearly, the deer was dead or near dead. Sure. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily follow. But uh, certainly a large percentage of the deer that I'm tracking, if not the greater percentage, is not dead. So my job is not just to uh, find and recover deer. It's also to prove that the the others are not dead and there aren't going to be dead. And it's superficial and that uh, uh, that's the case. And the hunter can know that and, and uh, quit the quit the search and get back to hunting. I yeah, actually, yesterday was a pretty ex- good example of uh, how my day can often go. I, I I started early in the morning down at Hadley Creek Outfitters, and they uh, they called me in for one trail, and and while I was on my way, uh, they actually had difficulty with a second trail, so I had two trails to do down there. Now, so here's a good example of that. Uh, they actually told me. Uh, they were up front. They just, we've told the hunter and we're telling you now, we don't think we're going to get this deer. We, we'd give it only like 20%, 30% chance of recovering this deer. We don't think it's going to happen. But in this case, they want me to prove that what they think is in fact the case. Uh, the first one where they were losing the blood trail uh, was right on the edge of a huge fields of switchgrass 
I mean, these these were big. It's a lot of times you oh, it's going into some switchgrass and you got a little patch of it or whatever. But those were acres and acres and acres of, of switchgrass. And sure enough, the, the the deer did go in there, and the stuff is you know over your head and it's thick and you know with without us they wouldn't have had a clue. They literally could have searched that for probably months and still not known. But we we got in there and we took the deer. I think it was a mile by the time we were all said and done. Most of it going through that switchgrass. And there was very little to see, almost nothing, but just occasionally we would see a spot of blood, uh, just a maybe a little smear on a, on a piece of grass, uh, almost none, but just enough to prove that my dog was 100% right. And after a period of time, based on the lack of blood, blood, the, the lack of beds, how the deer is traveling, the read on my dog, uh, you know, after that kind of distance, you know, I could say with certainty, oh, this is not happening. It's time to, to pull the plug on this. And you were right. 20, uh, your, your 20% assessment was absolutely right. Uh, you're not going to get this deer, this deer. There's nothing I can do for you, but I have proven it. And so uh, stop the search and, and get back to hunting. And then the very next trail, uh, you know, they were pretty confident about that one. Uh, but uh, it, it turned out to be the same. We actually took that one for a mile and a half much of it without any blood and same deal just had a, a speck or two it now and again uh uh and, and actually quite rarely did we have a speck we'd go huge diff distances and then same deal with lack of bedding and the way it was traveling up and down ridges and just uh moving easily and the way my dog was having to work the trail uh, again with certainty i was able to tell them this this isn't happening. This is not a seriously wounded deer. Sorry, it's not what you thought. So unfortunately, in those cases, we have to be the bearer of bad news. And, and that's not fun. Uh, but it is what it is. And, and peace of mind. No, it's yeah, peace, peace of, of mind. hundred percent, you know, uh, that uh, you don't have to be beating the bushes for the next three or four days trying to stumble on on the deer which you weren't going to have done and still wouldn't have known that uh, you just didn't miss it in the thick stuff so proof positive it's unfortunately not uh, what you were hoping it was and you can move on so you know that's uh, actually my dog did awesome work on that that's not easy when you got almost nothing to go by and the deer isn't seriously wounded it's not getting off a lot of scent um you know it was shot the day before they've already looked a little bit but i give them credit they didn't go too far before you know well actually they were losing blood so they really didn't have a choice but they didn't since they're people that i work with uh from time to time they know not that then just totally blind search and beat the place up and we get called in. So at least it's not a total fiasco when we get there, but uh, you know, that's, that's sometimes the way it goes is as good as, as the work that the dog does. It's uh, it doesn't result in a, in a, a recovery, but it does result in a hundred percent knowing what in fact uh, happened or, <laughs> or didn't happen. Uh, so uh, there's two right in a row, and, and 
no recovery. And then the last one we did fortunately turned out a lot better. And uh, it actually was raining on that one. The, the, the fellow was pretty certain he had a fatal hit. And in fact, he did. And uh, once my dog locked on, it was just locked and ripping it. And uh, despite despite the rain, uh, uh, just tearing me through the bushes. And that's a good sign. I mean, it's dead deer walking and the dog knows it. So I don't think it took us 15, 20 minutes to, to, to make the recovery. The thing had probably gone, I don't know, 450, it's certainly no more than 500 yards. And, you know, there it was piled up. So it's, that's fun. That's fun when you get the happy news at the end and everybody's happy and the guy's standing over his, his, his dead deer. But, uh, unfortunately that's not the way it always works. What, uh, Every year, do you have situations where, you know, you're tracking deer beyond a mile and, and you find the deer? Uh, well, certainly that happens every year, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, it's rare to go those, well, I'm, I don't know if it's rare, but it's less common to go those kind of distances. And, and quite honestly, we're typically going to pull the plug long before a mile or a mile and a half uh, I'm going to be able to stack up enough evidence in my mind to be able to, uh, safely say that no, this, this isn't happening. The deer isn't dead and it's time to quit. Um, that's not easy, uh, thing to do. And, uh, again, I like to have multiple pieces of evidence telling me that before I will make that decision but uh, to quite honestly, uh, in some respects, that it still is guesswork, highly, highly educated guesswork. And I don't make many mistakes, but theoretically you could. But again, that's why I want multiple pieces of evidence uh, leading me to either the conclusion that the deer isn't dead and quit, or I think we still got a chance of this. We got to plow forward and keep working it and uh, hopefully uh, come upon it. Now, when the rut hits, it's kind of like Christmas and you're, you know, bur burning the candle at both, both ends. Um, how many hours have you went without sleep? How many days? I, you know, and, and uh, there's times we've talked late at night while you're driving, whatever. I mean, how many days have you went without no sleep? Well, this really isn't a good thing to do, and I'm trying to be better about it, but I've gone three days. Okay. Just, just so um, you know, listeners, uh, I've hung out with John a lot, and he has switched to decaf coffee, and <laughs> he he only drinks uh, caffeinated coffee when he's headed on a trail. That way, it, it keeps him awake at night, so... Um, I do beat him up a little bit, and so does his wife. Uh, so you yeah, haven't made that change. Well, uh, yeah, I'm trying to be better about it. My uh, coffee strategy is definitely paying dividends. Uh, I admit I was out of control with the, the coffee consumption. It was, you know, it was uh, making me too stressed out and anxious, and uh, it just wasn't good. And and this. Uh, surprisingly, people think, oh, this is what you do is so awesome and it must be so much fun. Well, actually, no, I, I take it seriously enough and people's trophy on a lifetime. And guys are freaked out. They're not going to get their deer. They're losing their deer and it's so important to them. So you show up and all that's on your shoulders. And 
uh, you know, one after another after another for a season, it kind of builds and uh, kind of kind of wears on you after a while. And so uh, that and all the caffeine <laughs> wasn't a good combination, and then it stopped being kind of effective. So now with my uh, decaffeinated coffee uh, regimen and less coffee then then if i do need a little boost and i switch to the real thing it uh, really kicks in so that has been a pretty useful strategy but i'm trying to i'm I'm trying to be really careful about things and i gotta admit uh i don't know whether it's a function of getting older or probably some of that but uh, who knows even the the covid thing and how people's lives can change so fast that i'm kind of in trying to enjoy the moment and even my driving uh uh especially recently while the colors have been so nice i'm, I'm kind of trying to uh smell the roses so to speak and enjoy the drives and look at the colors and uh just uh appreciate everything and i, I think you know this all this big buck stuff uh and you know hey i like a huge rack <laughs> probably better than most but uh, there's a lot more to it than just that. I think sometimes maybe we get, uh, a little too focused on that and miss the big picture. And, and, uh, and I, I think, yeah, uh, stop and smell the roses and enjoy all the different aspects of the hunt and the people that, uh, you get to meet and, and, uh, hunt with. And, uh, it's, Look at look at the big picture and all all the enjoyment. Just don't get totally wrapped up uh, about uh, it, it's just the rack. I mean, sure, everybody likes to get a, a, a huge uh, trophy, and uh, I certainly like to track them and stand over them. But there's a lot more to it. How you do it and enjoying it and and, and all the uh, different uh, things that uh, involve are involved with a hunt. Uh, enjoy it all so uh i don't know if i got sidetracked a little bit there no but, that's uh, fine that's a, that's a good point there's no question uh you know this podcast focuses on big bucks and and most people are after big bucks but you know i was talking to uh an employee at matthew's archery the other day and he was saying the same thing you know that man we are focused on big bucks and he was he's pleasantly surprised how things are swinging back a little bit and it's in some cases more about putting meat on the table and just enjoying hunting and who cares what size of buck it is. There is a certain percentage of hunters that are, are headed that direction right now. And I think that's a good thing for the sport. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't say just, uh, uh, just the size of the animal or trophy versus meat. And not that it has to be exclusive, uh, one or the other, uh, that you can't do both. But I think it goes beyond that, and I guess maybe we disagree a little bit about this, but I also um, think how you do it uh, is is a big part of it, too. So, you you know, uh, perhaps hunt in some different ways or in more challenging ways or, you know, I've, I've uh, tracked uh, uh, recently with some guys that are using recurves and, you know, stretch out a little bit and, and, and yeah. increase your adventure and try different things. Don't just get locked in a pigeonhole and uh, deeper and deeper into the pigeonhole all about at all costs, uh, having to get that big rack. Sure. 
Um, speaking of weapons, do you track a ton during gun seasons as well? I mean, is there, I mean, I'm sure there's more mistakes made with bow, but, um, talk about that a little bit. I mean, are you seeing some crazy weird things with guns? You could, sure. You could, uh, you could say, uh, there's a lot more with bow and maybe there is, but part of that again, goes back to what's the volume. I mean, that's, the season so much longer during bow season. So naturally I'm going to get a lot more calls. Uh, but I certainly get, uh, uh, a lot of calls during muzzleloader during the shotgun season. Uh, it almost really doesn't matter what the weapon is. People are going to be using out to its, uh, capacity or to the edge of its capacity and stuff's going to happen. Stuff's going to go wrong. And, I suppose if you um, used a, a muzzleloader or a shotgun and took shots the same as I would take back when I was using traditional uh, longbows and recurves, well, then there probably would be a lot fewer deer wounded, but that's not how it's happening. You know, guys are using it out to the limits of its, uh, its range, and so there are going to be issues and also you know despite the weapon or however good or bad of a shot it's been you've got the weather factors and other weird stuff that that happens or a wound that's simply plugged and isn't bleeding so i yeah i get work from uh, all the different weapons and uh you know recently there's a lot of crossbows have come into the the picture and uh, you know it's Someone once was trying to tell me, well, it's good for archery because there will be less wounding. I haven't found that to be the case. <laughs> the thing. Uh, you know, they're using yeah. it to the extreme edge of their the capabilities, and they're, I think, and beyond, and beyond, and using it in a way that they think, well, it's, it's kind of like a gun. Well, it's not a gun, and taking uh, more gun-like uh, ranged shots and angles and. And, uh, so they're, they're actually proving to be pretty good customers for me, unfortunately. Okay. Nothing that not, that they're not, uh, I mean, they're super effective weapons and way more capable than a bow. But it's, again, it's that thing where, you know, you use it to the edge. Well, stuff's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because so many people are calling trackers these days, when do you think, you know, someone should call a guy like you. The outfitters you work with, your regular customers, they kind of know. Uh, I know from interviewing you over the years and just talking casually, uh, people have a tendency to beat up the ground and as a last resort call you, and you would like them to not not be that way so much. So, you know, when when should the red flag go up and a guy go, you know what, I better call Tracker John? The, the second you suspect you've got an issue that's the time but you know uh what's what's the goal is it to totally maximize your chance of recovery or is it to uh maximize the chance of not having to use the dog i mean well, if you if you want to maximize not calling in the dog well then you're going to beat the thing up but that's not the way to maximize your chance of, of recovering your deer. If I'll, I'll be honest, if, if you're going to maximize your chance of recovering the deer, you're going to call sooner than later 
and put me on sooner than later or the dog on the handler and the dog on sooner rather than later. But that does uh, open up the possibility that you're throwing the dog and handler on something that you really didn't need it for. Well, maybe only 75 yards down, down the line, there's your deer and you might've found it or stumbled on it anyways. But uh, that's the way to maximize your chances because you're also not uh, disturbing things or, or creating uh, more difficulties for those situations where you really did need the dog. Um, whereas if, if you're going to go out and, and tromp it up and, and try to a hundred percent of doing what you can do on your own, including grid and blind searching, well, now you've made things more difficult and possible it was a trail that was right on the edge of whether you could do it or not. Well, now maybe you've taken it over the edge and it's something that you can't do. So, you know, what's, what's the objective, but if, if you really want to maximize your odds, you call the moment you've got an issue or suspect you have an issue and uh, then it can be discussed and the the handler can, can uh, based on what you're telling him or me, uh, kind of get a feel for things and make a suggestion as to how uh, the the trail should should be uh, uh, managed from that point forward. Are you um, getting more calls because trackers are so kind of in the spotlight now? I mean, you've been doing it forty years. Um, twenty years ago, you were one of the few guys around. Now they're everywhere. So do you feel like it's brought more awareness to tracking dogs and their abilities? So you get more calls. Well, there's no question about that. Uh, certainly, it's it's uh, everybody knows about it now, and so everybody's going to consider it. Whereas when you talked about when we were talking fifteen years ago or uh, whatever it was, even just that short of time frame uh people really didn't know about it and you know i was i would still hear from people like well that can't work that there's no way that works that's going to be a fiasco dog's going to be all over the place there's no way it's going to stick with the one deer um people really didn't have uh, a good idea of what the potential really was, or a lot of people didn't. And so there were many, many skeptics back then, whereas now I would say it's been uh, readily accepted and people know what the value is and what the, 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 at least the potential is. Uh, so you're right. There, it's, it's very different than it, only, than it was only 15 years ago. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, I'm glad you're able to get a little rest in, and uh, I'm sure you'll find some slammers yet this fall, hopefully a few booners. Um, thank you for... Uh, a few more. We've already got a handful under our belt. So it's, uh, <laughs> I'm very enthusiastic about this season. I, I think you're right. There's there's going to be some, some big ones hitting the ground for sure. So are you finding, you know, as, as trophy class animals become more and more important, good, bad, or otherwise, we don't need to discuss that. I mean, are you finding, you know, 200 inchers more than ever before? Uh, I don't know about 
than ever before. But uh, yeah, certainly the frequency I would say is has increased. Part of that uh, is dependent on you know EHD and what the what has happened to the overall herds. I mean, uh, after EHD rolls through a place, uh, you're you're not going to have uh, many, if any, 200 inchers. Uh, but then, you know, as things rebound four or five years later, well, then, then you very well may. But certainly lots more people are doing the upper end management. And there's no question that uh, produces more and bigger bucks. And, and ultimately, a, a few of those uh, uh, 200 inchers. Yeah, I know from talking to Doug Benefield and other outfitters and stuff. I mean, in looking at trail camera pictures, it looks like this could be a great year. Uh, I believe so. I, I think that's overall the case. However, uh, very spotty and just infrequently, I've heard of uh, a few little uh, areas that have been uh, hit by EHD, but it seems to be very localized and rather small. But if that happens to be you, that's the that's a heavy dude, and uh, you're probably not going to be uh, taking many trophies uh, for sure. a few years. But yeah. again, uh, it's it's not here where I'm at, and uh, I, I haven't heard a lot of it, thankfully. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. Good luck the rest of the season, and make sure to get some sleep. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm being a good boy. I'm, I'm, trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to do what I got to do. But, uh, you know, it's kind of hard uh, when you've got existing clients or somebody that uh, is in need. Uh, it's hard to say no, and you got to kind of do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's it's your Christmas season, so to speak. Well, yeah, it'd be wonderful if we could just slowly spread out however many tracks are going to be over the entire time frame. And, and you didn't have those uh, stretches where it was either hot or cold and uh, it, it could be nice and, and even and you could just pace yourself. But unfortunately, that's not the way it works. You got to do it when it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, have a, have a good season. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. It is always great to hear from Tracker John. Uh, we may have him on the show again before the season's out or maybe shortly after the season, uh, just to kind of recap uh, some of the big bucks that he's found this year. It sounds like Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, a lot of those states are having banner years for monster bucks. Uh, so maybe you'll have some good stories for us later in the year. Until next time, uh, to learn more about me, visit my website, tracybreen.com, T-R-A-C-Y-B-R-E-E-N.com. I use that website to book speaking engagements, or if you have questions, just check it out, tracybreen.com. Until next time, have a great day, and God bless.